Are you ready for some righteous indignation to kick off the show? Okay, one. There is a bus lane camera in Auckland on Queen Street mm. that has brought in $4.5 million in fines in eight months, according to OIA documents released to the spin-off reporter Stuart Salmonland. Oh. $4.5 million bucks in eight months. In eight months. It's hard, though, sometimes, because, you know, when you pull into it a little bit too early, but eventually that road turns into one you have to be on to turn left or turn right? That's the thing that gets me, is that, like... I do sympathise. I get that they do infringement notices for driving in a bus lane, but, like... When it's a lane that you eventually need to be in, it gets it difficult. It gets you. It really it gets you. You've got a traffic story of your own. I do. I've not told you it yet. No. It's a parking story, which I think you'll enjoy because... I'm intrigued by it. I end up with a bit of egg on my face. Oh, okay. So I think you'll you'll get much, much enjoyment out of it. Well, let's get to that as quickly as we possibly can. (laughs) Uh, Kia ora, this is Newsable. I'm Emil. And I'm Imogen. And this is what's worth talking about. The badass jets that could help turn the tide in Ukraine's favour. Also, the UN says we could reduce plastic pollution by up to 80% right now. So what's the hold up? Why you want the good news and the bad news all at the same time. Plus, Emma got a parking ticket the other day. Ha, ha, ha. And uh, she promises this is a good yarn, so stay tuned for that. I always deliver, but we've got all of that coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. Well, there has been a significant step up in the military support for Ukraine. The United States has supported the idea of Western leaders supplying Ukraine with advanced fighter jets in that war. And Washington has also agreed to train Ukrainian pilots. Now, these jets are called F-16s. They are, I believe the technical term is badass Uh, They can go very fast, they carry great big missiles, and they have very powerful guns. They go zoom and they go boom, and the feeling is that they could help turn the tide in Ukraine's favour. So here to chat a bit more about this is Terry Johansson, a lecturer at Massey University School of Strategic Studies. G'day, Terry. Hi, how are you doing? Talk to us about these jets. Why are they such a big deal in modern warfare? These aren't the baddest-ass jets that could be seen. (laughs) Just to clarify, the Americans and the other Western allies are keeping the good cookies for themselves. Like F-16s are reasonably old technology, but they were used successfully in the first Gulf War and in the conflict since. So they have proven combat capability. But if you're looking at F-22 or an F-35, the new modern jets that have stealth technology, they're not in that same sort of field. However... For Ukraine, they are a significant step up on the current MI-29s that they're using. And even in this, in the broader sense, Terry, this idea of kind of like air superiority or controlling the skies, is that a pretty big deal in, in modern war zones? What we're seeing in Ukraine is something different than we haven't seen for a couple of decades now because with the Americans in Iraq, with the Afghanistan conflict, it was one-sided, the airspace. So the, the protagonist use of the air, Russia got their lessons from Syria. They were primarily the only people who had an air force or air power to be able to project from the air. Whereas now, it's because it's a two-sided shooting match, both sides are relearning some of the lessons that were lost in the more conventional conflict we saw during Cold War, World War Two, and the like. So yeah, she's a tricky situation where people are coming to grips with old lessons, but with 
different technology. Discussions around these planes have been ongoing for, for many months now, and the West has said they would maybe be okay with this, but they've also attached conditions to potentially providing these jets to Ukraine. I think um, Emmanuel Macron has said he's open to the idea so long as their provision wasn't deemed escalatory and the jets weren't used to attack Russian soil. I mean, what do you think about that? Are those reasonable restrictions to insist upon, do you reckon? In my opinion, they're reasonable restrictions. Like, I would, I would think... If you don't want to be seen as providing an offensive capability to Ukraine so that they can attack into Russia and that you want to limit their use to defensive counter-air tasks for the Ukrainian defence of their homeland, then that's something you would ask. Also, he may term it so that they don't enter Russian airspace. So, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to limit the effect that they can sort of have into that. Is giving Ukraine as much help as possible a risk worth taking? I think so. What's the uh, the quote? Uh, bad things happen when good people stand by and do nothing. Mm. Um, and if we stand by and do nothing, when a sovereign state sovereignty has been impinged against, then who's to say where it stops? You know, who's to say that anyone would come to our defence should New Zealand be invaded? And, you know, given the size of our defence force, I think we would probably need some support from the international community to help us maintain our political sovereignty. It's fascinating stuff. Terry Johansson from Mass University, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Emil, are you any good at recycling? Um... We're okay. I mean, my partner, Shmina, she is a very enthusiastic recycler. I'm okay, generally. But I think the thing is, I sometimes kind of get overwhelmed by the scale of the the big stuff, you know? Like, there's the domestic recycling, the stuff that I do at home, and then there's the really big stuff, the really bad pollution stuff. And I guess I separate them in my mind, if that makes sense. Mm. Well, I've got good news and bad news. The good news is a new UN report says plastic pollution could be cut up to 80% in the next 20 or so years. The bad news is we've already got the tech to do it and we just ain't using it. Uh, Yes. So to tell us more about this, we're joined now by Sheila Agrawal-Khan from the UN Environment Programme. It's great to have you here. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Nice to join you. Look, we know this is a bad situation that we find ourselves in, but can you kind of set out the scale of the problem that we face at this point in time? You can only recycle 9%, mechanically recycle 9% of what we have in the economy today. So many times when you put things in a recycling bin, it's not recyclable. 90% of it just has to either be chemically recycled and there isn't the technology at the level that we need it at. And basically it's ending up as waste or it's ending up as pollution in our rivers, in our oceans. A cost to society is $4.5 trillion globally because they're hidden costs from health damages, environment damages that are not factored into the true economy that's there today. We could cut plastic pollution by up to 80% in the next couple of decades. Talk to us about the technology that we're not sort of effectively using. Yeah, so... Let's just take the first thing, you know, half of the plastic we use ends up being used once and then it's just dumped. Mm. So the first thing is we could easily shift to reuse and refill systems. So keeping plastic circulating in the economy, not getting dumped. So, you know, you go to a supermarket, instead of picking your shampoo or your conditioner or your detergent and then using it and when it finishes, that bottle goes into the dump, you could basically have it refilled. What other areas could 
could we then easily see change in? So most of the plastic we have is based on fossil fuel. And, you know, to produce the plastic itself has a greenhouse gas impact. You know, there's energy that has to be used to produce it. It's based on fossil fuel. At the end of the day, and we're seeing lots of pollution from it. So what else can be done? And alternative to plastics. So we're hoping that, you know, markets can be created with plastic alternatives. And we're seeing many companies trying to innovate in this space. It's the annoying thing, I suppose, about plastic, isn't it? Is that it's actually really, really useful. Yeah. It's almost it's almost too useful for its own good. We've become <laughs> so used to it that it's really difficult to phase up. No, exactly. And so that's part of the challenge. We're not saying get rid of plastic. We're saying where it's possible to have alternatives, especially in the packaging side, we need to be able to have markets that do that. Where we can switch to reuse and refill systems, we need to go for that. And ultimately, if plastic is going to get dumped, it should be ideally mechanically recyclable. Sheila, just just finally on this, you work in this area, you, you must think about this quite a lot. How do you stop yourself from getting overwhelmed or, or sort of saturated with doom and depression? What, what gives you hope? You know, the irony of it is sometimes when you go to the supermarket and you see a little star there, you know, you suddenly see a company that has got a reuse system and you realise it's possible. It's certainly something to think about, Sheila Agwal Khan. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I don't mean to sound like I'm getting on my high horse here, but recently... I have transitioned into a refillable spray and wipe bottle, which I bought from the supermarket. And also from the supermarket, I bought, it's a non-diluted, what Sheila's almost talking about, cleaning solution in a cardboard box that's in a little glass bottle inside. And so then you put the cleaning solution in and you mix it with water and then that's your spray and wipe. Well, aren't you a good person? just going to tuck my hair behind my ear. Give yourself a, wow, you actually did too. Look at that. Single-handedly saving the planet. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, what, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line there. No, that I think Chris, it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, yeah we're, I'm not worried about it at all. Actually, Nothing if in there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts. Do you want the good news or the bad news? Well, turns out we probably want both. Yes, some new research suggests that if people are served a balanced diet of news that is positive stories along with negative stories, it can help people feel less distressed about the news. Catherine Buchanan from the University of Essex carried out this research and joins us now. Kia ora, Catherine. Hi. Uh, talk us through this study of yours, how did you do it? It first started when I was driving along in the car, had my radio on, and there was this footage covering the Ariana Grande Manchester bombing concert. And it was just horrendous. It had this huge emotional impact on me. And I wanted to know, is this a me thing? Yeah, at the time I was pregnant, is it some kind of crazy pregnant or hormonal lady thing? Or is this something that happens to everyone? And I started to look at the effects of media on people. And one of the earlier experiments we ran found that as little as two to five minutes of scrolling on Twitter, reading about COVID information, led people's moods really plummet. 
And I also noticed that when I started hearing some of the good news stories, some of the kindness things that were happening in response to the terrorist attacks, I felt a little bit better. So I designed this experiment um, to see how other people are impacted by real world news stories. Catherine, do you know that? Do you know the phrase "if it bleeds, it leads"? I do. Yeah, like I, I'm curious about what you think your research can tell media companies or, or editors at large when it comes to sort of overall tone or or balance of content. I have heard this phrase, if it bleeds, it leads. It kind of describes this tendency for what we call a negativity bias in psychology. And this is that we're kind of grabbed by those kind of horrific things they capture our attention, they're the things we retain, they're the things that have an impact on us. And in a way, they're very easy to use to kind of almost as clickbait. But now, you know, more and more people are starting to notice the bad effects that this kind of negatively valenced news, this kind of shock, horror tactics are having on their mental health. And they're starting to switch off and they're starting to disengage, which is not what we want. I would say that my findings which showed that the people that were sharing the positive news stories followed by the negative news stories fared far better than those that were simply showing the news stories. It's almost as though they kind of acted as a protective factor. What about people who say that lighter stories or positive news stories aren't news? What do you have to say to them? I think the media have kind of an unenviable job here. If you don't include what's happening in the world, then you're kind of glossing over things. But then at the same time, if you truly try and bring that balance to try and help people's mental health, then you're accused of kind of fluff stories. Mm. But I'd say to the cynics out there that actually it's time to reevaluate what counts as news. There's nothing wrong with a good dog story either. (laughs) (laughs) Catherine Buchanan, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead... The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You'll also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, Subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts. So before we get into your parking ticket, Miss Jeff, let me establish something. Are you respectful of authority and traffic rules in general? Yes. Although, as I said before, the confusion is with the bus lane when it eventually turns into a lane you want to be in. Okay. But you're not, like, reckless? Like Absolutely not. Okay. All right. I don't know. I'm Imogen Follow the Rules Wells. Okay. Okay. Mindful of that claim. Yes. Please regale me with your anecdote. Okay, so the other day I got a parking ticket. Mm-hmm. It was a great spot. Like I spotted the car park and I was like, banger, this is in Wellington CBD. Mm-hmm. There was someone parked in the park in front of me, but I was like, great, there's one behind because it's only a two-parker spot. It was right by where I needed to go. <coughs> banger. Returned to the car. Ticket. Mm-hmm. And I, I read the ticket because I was like, damn it, what have I got pinged on? And it said... I've been fined for parking too far away from the left-hand curb. Right. And I was like, (laughs) joke is on you, Wellington City Council. This is a right-hand side curb car park because it was a one-way 
street. Okay. And the car park was on the right-hand side of the road. Mm-hmm. So I was like, of course I'm too far away from the left-hand curb yeah. because the park's on the other side of the road. Uh-huh. So I challenged the ticket. The response was, no, it's a two-way street, not a one-way street. You've driven up it the wrong way and you've parked on the wrong side of the road. And I said, well, what about the other car? And they said, yes, they also parked on the wrong side of the road. So I had to pay my ticket. But I thought I'd really got him. What street was that? I can't remember. It's just around the corner. It's close enough to work for me to run out as soon as I got the reply saying it's not a one-way street. Ran down the road to confirm it is a two-way and that me and this poor person in front of me had both parked the wrong way. Because I took photos and everything. And I was like, look, we're all parked. Of course I'm too far away from the left-hand side. I'm a whole road away from the left-hand side because the park's on the right-hand side. The thing that I like about that story, apart from the, you know pathos that I feel for you is that like you know that feeling that sort of jolt of excitement that you get when you really actually feel like you're in the right yes and that I you've was been laughing. wrong and you I were like howling baby I got photos yes. yeah I got evidence I'm gonna I'm gonna I got this one yeah and, it was uh, for me it was that yes you and the car in front of you are parked on the wrong side of the road <laughs> did that make it easier to take um <laughs> I don't know about easier, but it was like, okay, here's my $40. I won't contact you again. In fact, probably won't challenge a parking ticket again. Have you got a ticket that you thought was wrong and tried to challenge it and it turns out you're the wrong one in this situation? Get in touch. Anyway, that's Newsable for today. I'm Imogen Wells. And I'm Emil Donovan. Remember, you can follow us wherever you get your podcasts and across all of your social channels as well, at Newsable NZ. Also, hit us up directly if you've got something to say, a.k.a. those parking ticket yarns. Email us at newsable at stuff.co.nz. Have a great Tuesday, even though it's the worst day of the week. 